little Johnny got off the bus, and as he was going into Mrs. Jones' classroom, Mrs. Jones was at the door taking the students' homework. Little Johnny looked at Mrs. Jones and said, I forgot and left my homework at home. Little Johnny walked on in and felt awful and bad. He had just lied to Miss Jones. What had happened is he had gotten busy playing, never took the time to do his homework, and immediately what he did was thought of something that would get him out of trouble at that moment, and he lied to his teacher. Little Johnny felt bad about what he had done. He came home that afternoon, and as he was looking across the road, his elderly neighbor was there trying to start her lawnmower. Sweat was beginning to drip from her face. She was having a very difficult time. Little Johnny walks over the road and says, Would you like for me to help? She says, Sure. So he starts the lawnmower and he thinks, I'm going to do a good deed. And he helps his neighbor mow her yard. When she gets through, Little Johnny, can I pay you? No, no, no. I'm, I'm just glad I could do it. Little Johnny felt real good about what he had done. <clears throat> what was it that made little Johnny feel awful when he lied to his teacher? What was it that made little Johnny feel good when he helped his elderly neighbor mow her yard? This morning I want to begin a lesson on, is your conscience bothering you? The truth is, man is often bothered by his conscience. There are times when man, like little Johnny, may feel awful about what he has done. And then there are times when a person is trying to do the right thing and does the right thing and then feels a certain amount of congratulations. You know, man struggles with guilt and shame and wounded consciences. Many of us feel guilt for things that we have done or things that we have said there are many examples that can help us understand this blessing from God. Yes, your conscience is a blessing from God. And so here's what we want to do in our lesson this morning. We want to talk about comprehending the conscience of man. What is it? How does it work? Why does it do to us and for us that which it does? Number two, we want to talk about some conditions of the conscience. There are people who have pure consciences, people who have good consciences, people who have clean consciences. And then there are people who have all sorts of bad consciences as well. What are the various states or conditions of it? And then I want to talk about cultivating a good conscience. You know, when you and I leave here and we've studied God's Word, it ought to provide us some guidance and direction that I can know how I ought to live this week and do what would please God. Let's begin with comprehending it. God made us this way. God made us with a conscience. And in fact, if you go to Psalm 139 and verse 14, David said, I will praise you. For I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works. 
And my soul knows very well. You and I ought to appreciate the fact that God has made us like He has. I used to have a poster when I was a child that says, God doesn't make junk. Had a picture of a little kid on there. God does not make mistakes. He made man as He wanted man to be, a free moral agent capable of making choices for good and for bad. And yet God wanted us to have negative consequences for bad choices, good consequences for good choices. In the book of John, or excuse me, Exodus chapter 4 and verse 11, when God was discussing with Moses about his commission, the task that he had been given, he said, who made man's mouth, or who makes the mute, the deaf, the seeing, or the blind? Have not I, the Lord, God made us, he knows us, and he knows what is best for us. Like pain is for the body, guilt is for the mind. And the truth is, is that pain is good and guilt is good because it causes us to prevent further damage. Let me illustrate to you how pain is helpful. When I was in high school, I was dating a young lady whose brother had on one of his hands a lack of sensation, a lack of feeling. And I first thought that maybe that would be good, that if you hit your thumb, you wouldn't say, ouch. But the truth is, she talked about how he had burned his hands severely because he wasn't able to feel. He put it in some boiling water. Then she talked about another time when he was working and He'd gotten his finger caught in something that was sharp and it cut his hand and he didn't realize it. Yesterday I was helping Micah move an appliance and I said, hold on just a second, there's part of it's cutting me. That pain was good because it told me, stop, don't do anymore or you're going to do some damage. And it's the same way when you think about guilt. Guilt is helpful because when you and I start doing something wrong, that conscience kicks in and says, stop doing this. It's going to cause harm. It's going to cause damage. And it's God's way of trying to help put the brakes on for us. The Bible talks about people who are past feeling. In writing to the Ephesians, Paul was trying to describe how the Gentiles had gotten in their society. And he said, this I say therefore and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from life in God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart. Now listen carefully to verse 19. Who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. Whether it's lewdness or greediness, these people no longer had a feeling. It no longer bothered them. The original word that is translated conscious is a word which means to know together. To know together. Our conscience and our mind worked in harmony with one another, hopefully. And the conscience is knowing what the mind is contemplating, 
and what the body is doing. Our actions serve as a witness and a judge. Our conscience serves as a witness and a judge over our actions. Our conscience is able to say, what you're doing is good, what you're doing is wrong. And it provides, as if it were, a separate witness to that. One man called it our spiritual smoke alarm. You know what happens if you have a smoke alarm goes off in your home? In the middle of the night, you wake up and the, the alarm is beeping and beeping and beeping. You get up quickly and you try to exit the house and you make sure everyone is out so safety can be achieved. When your conscience is condemning you, it's telling you there's something going wrong. You need to address it right now. When Paul wrote the Romans in chapter 2 in verse 15, he was describing the mind of the Gentile who had been given this conscience. And he says about them, they show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness. And between themselves, their thoughts accusing or else excusing them. Do you see what he says? Their conscience also bearing witness. Our conscience is saying what you intended to do or what you just said was wrong and you need to change. Romans chapter 9 and verse 1, Paul would say, I tell the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience also bearing witness in the Holy Spirit. My conscience also bearing witness. It's as if here's our mind, here's our conscience. Our mind thinks, our mind proposes, our mind tells us to act, and our conscience says either that's right or that's wrong. Now for just a minute, let's talk about some of the conditions of that conscience. There's several adjectives used to describe the conscience in the Bible. There are, for instance, those that are called the good, the pure, the clean, the clear conscience. All of those describe a person whose conscience was making choices that says that's good, what you're doing is right, and approving their actions. On the other hand, we'll look at Acts 23 and verse 1. Paul then, looking earnestly at the council, said, Men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. Back when Paul was the persecutor, he had a good conscience. Why did he have a good conscience? He was doing wrong because he believed he was doing right. He believed it was obligation to stop those who were Christians who were claiming to serve the Christ. Do you remember when he appeared before King Agrippa in Acts 26? When he said, I myself thought that I ought to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. I believed I was supposed to do that. But Paul, the persecutor, became Paul the preacher. Well, why did he do that? Because he learned better. He still had a good conscience because now he's preaching and he knows he's serving the risen Lord. When Paul wrote 1 Timothy, Timothy was in Ephesus. There was people teaching things they should not. And he told him, he left him there, that he would charge some that they would teach 
no other doctrine. And when you get to verse 5, he says, the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from sincere faith. In other words, he's talking about the genuineness of the character of the person. You have the law to give you the proper direction, but you've got to have a good conscience to go with it. And then you get to verse 19, and he talked about some who perhaps didn't have that right kind of conscience. And he says, having faith and a good conscience, which some, having rejected, concerning the faith of suffered shipwreck, they wrecked their ship because their conscience was not pure. It was not clean. It was not holy. In 2 Timothy 1 and verse 3, Paul again said, I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience as my forefathers did without ceasing remember you in my prayers night and day. My fathers did this. I did this. I followed their pattern because I believed I was doing right. But there's also the conscience that's not so good. There's a conscience that is poorly directed We read in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 12 about a man with a weak conscience. Something that is weak here is one that is easily overridden. What is it that keeps us from just lying incessantly? What is it that keeps us from doing things we ought not do all the time? It's that conscience saying you ought not do it. What about a person who's gotten to the point where it's real easy for them to ignore what their conscience says and go on and do it. They have a weak one. And there were many of those who had been converted out of the world who are now in the church and they were very susceptible to someone else's leading them astray. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 12 But when you thus sin against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. If because of the way I live, I take you over here and I cause you to stumble and fall because you have a weak conscience, it's my fault because I know that that conscience that you have is weak. Then in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 2, Paul talked about in verse 1, the Spirit says expressly in the latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. And then when in verse 2 he says, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. Whenever the body has extreme heat applied to it it destroys those cells and damages the nerve endings that go to those cells and what happens is there's there's for a time and sometimes some even permanently there's a loss of sensation the loss of feeling there's some people who can lie so much 
that it becomes a part of their character. Their conscience no longer bothers them. You remember I talked about little Johnny felt awful that he lied to his teacher. Sometimes you can practice lying so much that it becomes a part of your character. He talks about people with a seared conscience. Then the defiled conscience. In Titus 1 and verse 15. To defile something is to take something that is pure and to make it impure. Here's a little girl comes to church. She's wearing a beautiful white dress. Those beautiful little white socks with a frilly lace around them. Those beautiful white shoes. And then she comes and she decides she wants to play with some of the boys. Next thing you know, there's a whole big dirty streak on the back of that dress. It's been defiled. It's been dirtied. It's been sullened. There's some people whose consciences have been like that because they have associated with people who have the lack of respect for their conscience. It becomes defiled. Titus 1 Verse 15, to the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But even their mind and their conscience is defiled. A person becomes so desensitized to the wickedness of the world. And that brings us to Hebrews 10, 22, an evil conscience. You know, no longer does the conscience now approve the things that are good and disapprove the things that are bad, now you have a conscience that says, hey, just do what you want to do. A conscience that says, hey, doing evil is fun. Get a little joy out of it. Hebrews 10, 22, let us draw near with a true heart in the full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure Water. Conscience here that has been sprinkled from the evil conscience. It's like a washing, a cleansing of it, if you will. Well, then for the next few minutes, let's talk about cultivating a good conscience. I want to be who God wants me to be. I want to serve the way God wants me to serve. And a good conscience is a person always acting in harmony with what he believes to be right. A person who is able, when he sees something that is wrong, is able to let it affect the way he behaves himself. Let me give you a good example. We're going to go to John chapter 8 and verse 9. For those of you who may not be aware, this passage is talking about a woman taken in adultery. And they brought this woman who had been taken in adultery and they said to Jesus, she has been taken in the very act. Then they asked, what should we do with her? The law of Moses says she ought to be stoned. What do you think we ought to do, Jesus? Now, let me make a couple things abundantly clear. Number one, they're not concerned with woman and the adultery. Number two... They're not concerned with the law of Moses. Their only concern is to try to trip up Jesus, either to have him say, yes, stone her, and then get him in trouble with the Roman officials, or to say, no, don't stone her, and then to say, you don't respect the law of Moses. It's all about trying to entrap Jesus. What happens is Jesus makes a statement 
Let him who is without sin among you cast the first stone at her. Now, some people said, well, then nobody who has ever sinned can ever say anything badly about someone else who's sinning. That's not what the Lord is saying at all. Let him who is without sin regarding this woman, regarding this event that you have created with it among you, let him cast the first stone. If you are brought this woman with a concern for truth, then you throw the first stone. But you get to verse 9, then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last, and Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. You know what happened? Here are people who knew they weren't operating with the right motives, and particularly the older ones, and their conscience said, you know you're not doing the right thing. You need to just walk away. You need to stop what you're doing. When our conscience does that to us, then we ought to pay attention. In 1 John chapter 3, verses 20 and 21, John writes, For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. And beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. Your heart condemns you? better beware. God knows what you're thinking. God knows your intentions. He knows if you're going to try to override your conscience. It also comes from having a tender heart that responds to bad behavior. One that recognizes, oh, I should not have done this. Our Bible reading this morning came from 1 Samuel chapter 24. David had been among the Philistines and now he had ran to the area around the Dead Sea known as Engedi. And David and his soldiers, or those who had followed him, had been hiding in the caves running from Saul. And David and his soldiers were deep into the cave and Saul comes into the cave to relieve himself. David secretly slips up behind him in verse 4 and cuts off a corner of his robe. Saul didn't even know that it's happened. David's men are saying, Oh, this is the day that you've been waiting for. The Lord has delivered your enemy into your hand. You get to verse 5. Now it happened afterward that David's heart troubled him because he had cut... Saul's robe. He then goes on to say in verse 6, He is the Lord's anointed. I don't have the right to take his life. And even the cutting of his robe was something that bothered David. That's a man with a tender heart. A man with a good conscience. One who repeatedly violates his conscience will no longer be affected by bad behavior. You find yourself, first of all, saying, okay, I, I told one lie to get out of it, and I, 
And next thing you know, you're going to be telling the second one. And then the third. And then the fourth. And then the hundredth. And no longer does your conscience say to you, you need to change. It doesn't say anything anymore. No longer do those cheats become rosy because your blood flushes and you're lying. Jeremiah described this situation in Jeremiah chapter 6 and verse 15. The condition that Israel had developed. Were they ashamed when they committed abomination? No. They were not at all ashamed. Nor did they know how to blush. Therefore they shall fall among those who fall. At the time I punish them, they shall be cast down, says the Lord. When I was a child, there were some of the things that you just didn't speak about in public. There were words that just weren't said. Today, they're on the television and full view for everybody to see. There was a time when a person was in the closet, so to speak. Now they march in the streets. There was a time when people had a certain respect, but our nation has gotten to where it has no moral conscience. And you know what the moral conscience does to a nation? It infects the citizens thereof. If we're not careful, we'll find ourselves tolerating being desensitized to what is good and what is right and against those things that are wrong. One of the most important things is to understand that the conscience is not equal to the voice of God. Oh yes, the conscience was God-given. God designed it. But it's not equal to the voice of God. Paul would say very abruptly to the Corinthians in chapter 4, verse 4, 1 Corinthians, For I know nothing against myself, yet I'm not justified by this, but he who judges me is the Lord. I don't know anything I've done wrong. But Paul would say, I didn't think I was doing wrong back there when I was persecuting the church either. That doesn't justify me. Just because your conscience has not condemned you doesn't mean that what you're doing is correct. Let me illustrate. This morning there are people assembled together to worship God and there's all kinds of instruments of music playing. And there are people who say, I don't see any problem with instrumental music. It doesn't bother me. Oh, it doesn't? I guess if it doesn't bother you, then that makes it all right. No, it just means you've not been educated enough yet. It means that you haven't taken the time to see the way God reasons through His Word. And just like the Apostle Paul, you can come to understand things better. And then, if that piano starts playing, then your conscience will say, I don't need to be here. In Romans chapter 14, verse 2 and verse 14, Paul illustrated it another way. 
For one who believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. In the first century, there was a real issue among those who have been Jewish converts about eating certain kinds of meats. And they not only believed they shouldn't eat them, they believed no one should eat them. There were others who observed certain days and they believed that they should be observed and that others should observe them as well. Paul would say in verse 14, For I know and am convinced that by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself. That's the, the truth. But to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. What's Paul saying? You want to cultivate a good conscience? Don't keep overriding it. If you want to know better, study, learn better, and then your conscience will not condemn you for it. As a result, one must not only not violate his conscience, but he must search out God's ways to know the truth. So you cultivate a good conscience, you don't override it, you don't ignore it, you don't violate it, but you also make sure that you educate yourself from God's word to do the right thing. We live in a world today that says, don't feel guilty. It's not your fault. You blame someone else. You shouldn't feel guilty about this. You shouldn't feel guilty about that. The truth is, if you sinned, you should feel guilty. If you have told a lie, you ought to feel guilty about telling a lie. If you've mistreated someone, you ought to feel badly about mistreating someone. That's God's way of telling you, stop doing it. But the Bible teaches that we bear guilt when we sin. But there's a way to remove that guilt. How do you get rid of the guilt of sin in your life? Here I am. Let's say you're a 15-year-old, 37-year-old, 68-year-old, and you've never become a Christian. You know what? You've got a lot of guilt. In 1 Peter 3, verse 21, There is an antitype which now saves us. Baptism. Not the removal of the filth of the flesh. You're not baptized to get your body clean. But the answer of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Do you know what? When you are baptized... You go down in that water a sinner. You come up out of that water a saint. The sins which have been laid to your charge, of which you are guilty, are now forgiven. And your conscience is clean. Hebrews 9.14 How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Someone says, I've been baptized. I had those sins washed away, but you don't know all the bad stuff I've done since then. I'm struggling with a 
a real conscience I've not done what is right. First John 1 and verse 9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The song is selected. The song is all to Jesus. I surrender. Will you do that while we stand and sing?